we were, a few of us were talking a couple weeks ago just how comforting the sovereignty of God is, but also how difficult it is because of that song that sometimes we have to wait for God to work, that he's not a genie in the bottle who has control of all things but works according to his wisdom and not ours, and so it's hard sometimes to wait for him. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, if you're visiting with us, um, we are glad that you're here. We work our way typically through books of the Bible. Um, And so we find ourselves in John chapter 9. If you're just checking out Christianity and don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles on the pew rack in front of you home with you. You have God's Word in your home. John chapter 9, I'm going to read verses, we're going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then pick up at verse 35 and read through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. And as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, that man born blind. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. You may be seated. Would you pray with me one more time and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the true one, the only true one, and what you speak is true and has power and can meet us in our brokenness. And so, Holy Spirit, would you shine your light on your word that we might see it clearly and shine your light on Jesus that we might delight in him alone with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in order to do that, we need you to shine your light also on our sin that we might see it and turn from it to the one who is true. For We pray these things in his name. Amen. You know, I've asked myself a question this week in response to this text that I want to ask you. What what lies are you believing? 
it's sort of a humbling question because the nature of lies is that you just don't see them and you don't know. You're blind to them. You know, like no one sets out to believe a lie. It's the nature of deception. What lies are you believing? And how are they affecting you? You know, the flat earth movement is growing. It seems a little absurd in today's age when both math and global imagery, satellite images, moon shots have proven to us without a shadow of a doubt that the earth is a globe. But the flat earth movement is, is growing. In the Netflix documentary, Behind the Curve, it's worth watching. The flat earthers perform a, a series of experiments to prove that the earth is is flat, and they set up three pieces of wood three miles apart, and, and the theory is that we'll drill holes in these wood, and since the earth is flat, we'll be able to shine a light in one wood and four pieces of wood and four miles away, be flat, and so you'll see, through, except as you imagine, the experiment fails. Shoot a laser, and it shoots way over the pieces of wood because the earth is curved. And what's so strong is that contrary to the evidence that is before them, they just simply reject it. It's, it's not that their theory is wrong, it's that the experiment was just a little off. What lies are you believing? Thomas Kuhn, the scientist and philosopher, pointed out how this works in his book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Don't pick it up and try to read it, it's way over um, everyone's head, including um, our PhD philosophers. As a scientist, though, Kuhn points this out. He's the one who coined the phrase paradigm shift. He, he points out that it takes a long time and a lot of evidence before scientists ever change their mind that, that what happens is that we get stuck in a way of thinking and, and, and it's only until there's enough contrary evidence that we've got to change the way we think. And it's not that just evidence shows up. We get entrenched in our current ways of thinking. And so we don't just observe data. We interpret data through the lens of our prevailing mindset, our prevailing paradigm that we are natural born interpreters and if a lie has creeped into that paradigm, we create an interpretive grid that, that causes us to see the world wrongly. In some sense, then, we are all flat earthers, believing things that aren't true, susceptible to forces beyond our own ability to see that creates paradigms through which we are viewing all of life. And so what lie are you believing? It is a scary question. Because it's not just that we are unwilling to see, but we are unable to see clearly. And so Jesus proclaimed into this dynamic that we all are interpreters and all have grids that are skewed and not seeing the world rightly. Jesus and John chapter 8 proclaimed this boldly. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he says this at the back end of proclaiming in John chapter 8 during the Feast of Tabernacles. It had two main ceremonies, a ceremony of water and a ceremony of light. During this Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus announces, I am the light of the world. 
And he says it again here in John chapter 9. I am the light of the world that can break through the darkness of the lies that we believe and cause you to see yourself and the world rightly, truly. But he then reminds us in John chapter 8 and again here in John chapter 9 that there are two hidden enemies that are at work creating the blindness of the lies that we believe, sin and Satan. And sin, he doesn't just mean things that we do, he means an invisible force that is at work in us. And Satan, both of which lie to us to keep us deceived and in Jesus' word, their deceptions enslave us. They keep us in the dark. And the way sin and Satan work, they're like, they're like two uh, deep fake videos. You've probably seen this phenomenon that's been creeping up over the last couple of years where, where someone is able to take, with, with computer wizardry, take videos and and make the person speaking on the video say anything that they want to say. The most famous one was done last year where Jordan Peele took a video of Obama and gave a PSA about fake news. The real thing made to sound and, and convince us because some wizardry going behind the surface and lie to us. This is what sin and Satan do. They deliver fake news to us. They are the deep state deception. They are the hidden forces that keep God's image in the dark. And this is what John has been carrying around as a theme that started all the way back in his introduction in the first 18 verses of his gospel this interplay of light and darkness that's being played out here in John chapter 9. When he says in John 1, 5, the light, speaking of Jesus, shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. it. The darkness is real. But it is no match for the shining light of Jesus and His truth. And John picked up this theme of light and darkness again in John 3 with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Living in the darkness, coming in the darkness, in the midst of the night, to stand before Jesus. And he's completely unable to see Jesus for who he really is, the light of the world. And then John explains why. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's not just simply that we're blind to the light of Jesus, that we prefer the darkness. And he picks up this theme again in chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so John picks this up and brings it into John chapter 9 and says, look, it's not just a victim of darkness. You are blind. You're so deceived by sin and Satan. You so bought their lives that you have become blind to the clearness of the light of God that's shining in Jesus Christ. And so what he's doing in John chapter 9 is what he often does. He gives us a case study, an object lesson. There's a man born blind, and John layers meaning throughout his gospel. 
And what he's saying is, look, here's a man, he's born blind. The problem of his blindness, he's born with. It didn't come on him later in life. He was born with this problem, likewise so are we. were born with the spiritual blindness. A man born blind, and then it gets ironic. And again, this is what John does. He's, he is um, often sarcastic, almost always playing with irony, playing with words, and playing with ideas. And so what you have at the beginning of John chapter 9 is a man born blind who at the end sees, and the religious leaders who claim to see, and at the end proclaim their blindness. And just as the man born blind needed to be healed by Jesus so that he could see, the ability to see God's truth is a work of spiritual healing because we are all born spiritually blind. You see, so much of the things that we believe really is just us trying to make sense of a broken world. Most of our worldviews, most of the things that we believe, lies or truth, is just us trying to make sense of the brokenness of the world and the darkness of our lives. Every story that's told follows that pattern. Children, every movie that you have ever watched, every cartoon that you've ever watched follows this pattern. Something's wrong, a hero shows up to make the world right again. Different variations of that story, but every cartoon that you watch, whether it's 30 minutes or two hours, follows that. Something's broken. Something needs, someone needs to fix it. This is what a perfect world looks like. Every story that we believe, every lie that we're told, every truth that we hold is just us trying to make sense of the brokenness of the world. And here's one of the lies that we're introduced to in, in John chapter 9 because they see this man born blind and they ask him, whose fault? This man or his parents? They're trying to make sense of the brokenness that they see in front of them. But the, the lie that they've believed is that's the only options that are out there. That this is somehow this closed universe and it works like a machine. Like you put sin in and then you get brokenness out and Jesus and Jesus is like that's just not the way the universe worked it's not it's not all materialistic it's not self-contained it's not like a machine where you you put good in then you get you get bad out computer programmers have a a word for this garbage in garbage out you put bad code in you'll get bad code out and that's the way we tend to and even amongst Christians this is the way we tend to think about the world it's just some machine that's just running along. And if we get our doctrine right, or if we get our morality right, if we get our living right, then we'll get good on the outside. And so they're confronted with this man born blind. And Jesus passed by and he saw him. He's got a congenital defect. He's born blind. That's a problem. That is a broken world. And the disciples are trying to make sense of it. And I notice the first thing, and you can skip over this, the first thing is that, that he notices him. He sees him. And again, John is playing with irony here. Notice the man who can't see is seen by Jesus. He, he sees him. He sees his brokenness. He notices it. And he engages it. Certainly there's crowds in Jerusalem at this time. But the one who catches his eye is the one who is most broken from birth. And 
the disciples are that sort of machine mentality is, you know, garbage in, garbage out. It works like karma, like if you live your life right. I mean, this is the way Eastern religions view the world. If you live your life right, then you'll get rewarded. Karma will pay you back. And if you live wrong, then you'll be incarnated as a University of Tennessee fan. Garbage in, garbage out. It is a graceless view of the world. And Jesus confronts that. It's the, the problem is he interjects an answer. This is not a graceless world where a graceless God and his goodness is not present. Verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Your whole framework is wrong. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now this can be understood one of two ways. Either... God made this man blind so that he could display his works. Or, and I think this is more likely, Jesus is saying, look, we've come across this blind man who is fixing to receive sight so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's not answering their question, in other words. Who sinned? Wrong question. This is what's going to happen I am God in the flesh, the light of the world, and I'm breaking into this darkness, and I'm going to make it right again. That's what's going on. You've asked the wrong question. What you should be asking is, what is God going to do about this? And Jesus' answer, I'm going to display the works of God in him. Leslie Newbegin, the great missionary to India, he, he makes this point. He says, the attempt to make sense of a world which is under the power of sin and death by probing into the causes is doomed to frustration. The only thing that can make sense of a dark world is the coming of light. And the light does not come from below, from within the world, but from above. Not from the past, but from the future. This is really the playing out. I mean, this miracle is really the playing out of Isaiah 35 where God promised it into this broken world. He's going to do, he's not going to leave it this way. It's going to flower and blossom in the desert. Broken areas are going to spring with life again. That's how you know God has shown up. And so one of the ironies that John plays with this man couldn't see, but Jesus saw the man. He saw his affliction. And Jesus sets out to heal him. And then he introduces another irony. He spits into the ground makes some mud, rubs it on the man's eyes, and then tells the man to go down to the pool of Siloam. And John, as he often does, puts a parenthesis in there, which means sent. And that the one sent, this is the deep irony, the one sent by the Father into the darkness of the world sends this man to wash in the pool called sent so that he could be healed from his blindness. We must work the works of God who sent me while it is day. It's another glimpse, by the way. It's just this whole parable. Oftentimes the miracles of Jesus are a glimpse into the cross. Where God sent his son John 3, 16, he so loved the world that he sent his son. So that Jesus' eyes that were open to the glory of God would be shut in death by sin as he bore our sin on the cross. So that then he could be raised from the dead to give 
sight to those who have been born spiritually blind so we could have all of the lies of sin and Satan demolished by the power of his word. And that's what he does. That's what his word, it breaks, his light breaks into the deeper darkness of our hearts so that by the power of the resurrect, crucified, and raised Jesus, who has all power and authority, he can undo the blindness. That's why this man born blind is an object lesson. It's more, more is going on than just the healing of the man. It's sort of like this is the paradigm for the way God breaks into the darkness of our hearts. And that darkness manifests itself. And this is humbling in the religious leaders who say they see but don't see because this is another story of opposition increasing to Jesus. The light shines into the darkness. Jesus is the truth. And when the light shines into the darkness, it brings healing. And that creates conflict, a kingdom conflict, a conflict between darkness and light. Because the Pharisees, the neighbors of this man born blind, are like amazed. And so they take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, instead of saying, look, God has shown up and he's done a work, say, who is this man? What can we do to him? They've already sent out officers to arrest him. They're looking for every loophole in the law to crucify Jesus. They've already attempted to stone him. The darkness, Jesus says, doesn't like the light. It's not just that we're blind, but we hate the light of God shining in the darkness because we prefer the darkness, born with that disposition. And the Pharisees, they finally, okay, so they, he put mud, he spit on the ground and put mud on his eyes. That is equivalent of kneading, because he had to knead the mud together. Kneading is prohibited on the Sabbath, which it wasn't, by the way. And so he must have broken the Sabbath. There's a man born blind, and all they can see is he must have kneaded some mud on the Sabbath. Therefore, he's guilty. And so the man asks them a question. They're interrogating him. They're trying to find any way to get after the light of the world because they prefer the darkness. And so the man asks them the question, why are you asking me all this? You want to follow him too? Well, this is too much for the darkness to bear. And so they cast him out. They they excommunicate him from the synagogue. He's cast out of the church. Ah, but Jesus... This is when we pick up in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a very similar question that he had asked, that the blind man had asked the Pharisees. They had caused him to cast him out. Do you want to follow him? They get angry and the darkness casts out the light. The light finds the man who was once born blind... Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now remember, this man had never seen Jesus because Jesus sent him away. He didn't receive sight until he's away from Jesus. And he finds him. Again, this is a theme that this finding of the darkness and the finding of the lost ones, this is going to carry us into the next chapter in John chapter 10. Jesus finds him. He goes searching for him and he finds him. Do you believe 
And he answered, Who is he, sir? Who is the Son of Man that I may believe in him? Jesus said, again, irony, you've seen him. It's he who's speaking to you. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He sees Jesus clearly now. Not just with his eyes, but with the eyes of his heart. And he entrusts himself to Jesus' care. He believes in him. And he worshipped him. And then Jesus just, it's like this parenthetical mark. They only tell you what's going on, Jesus said. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who may see may become blind. You see what he's doing is his word is coming down. This is where the real conversation, John's been building up to this point. This is what darkness and light happens. I've come into this world so that I may clearly display the works of God, the truth of God, and as a result, it is a judgment of God. For those who believe have been given eyes to see, and those who don't are still blind in their darkness, and they hate me. Because the Pharisees then hear him and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let me give us five principles to take away from this. Five things to just sort of walk out the door with. Some of them are truths. Most of them are just sort of things to build your paradigms on. Five principles to take away. God reveals first. God reveals. And his revelation is the light. I mean, don't, get, don't miss this. God is not the master of fake news. Right? He's not trying to fool us. He is clear in his revelation. This is who I am. This is what I've done. I'm open, he's open, he's honest, he's forthright about it. There's no hidden agendas with him. And this is why Jesus asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, yes, I do. Who is he? I've seen him. This is a deeper problem. Jesus is healing the man born blind. It is a great act of mercy. He's undoing the darkness. And as a result, the man sees the clear revelation of who Jesus is. God reveals and his revelation is the light. Secondly, a Christian isn't someone who's right. And this needs to be said. A Christian who isn't someone who says, I'm right and I've cornered the market on the truth. This is a huge temptation. When your eyes have been opened to see Jesus and the truth of God's word, to all of a sudden weaponize it against those who are living in the darkness. A Christian isn't someone who's cornered the market on truth. A Christian is someone who has been cornered by the truth and been given eyes to see only by God's grace. The only reason we're able to see God's truth rightly and to see it as true is because our eyes have been opened by the grace of God. That's why this man born blind is found in his blindness. He isn't believe and then see. He sees and then believes. He's healed and then he sees. If the grace of Jesus enters in. The Christian is not someone who's right just because their eyes have been opened to God's word. You are like, we are all like this blind man. So 
there just should be this humility. Don't, don't take that as like cowardice or we've got to sell this to the world. There's no selling to the darkness. There's no making palatable the light of God's word because we love, the darkness hates God and his word. We don't shrink back. But the posture that we should take is, man, I've only seen this because God the Spirit has opened my eyes. Jesus and his kindness has undone my blindness. He can do it to you too. So let me open God's word. Go from being right to being cornered by the truth. Third, recognize that God's word also brings death and that his word causes division. Verse 39, for judgment I came into the world that those who see do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Or as Paul says, the word does two things. To those who are being made alive, it makes you alive. Those who are giving over to death, it kills you. That's the way God's word causes division. It's like a knife. It cuts it apart. How do you respond to God's word? Do you love God's word? Is it forming light for you? Is its light breaking into every corner of your life, affecting the way you do relationships and work and parenting and spend your money? Or, and this is, we've sort of been able to get away with nominal Christianity. What nominal Christianity looks like is, I like the Bible, but I'm really not going to live by it. I like it when it encourages me, but I'm really not going to live by it. And when Jesus is always calling us to do hard things for the sake of his name, just confronting us, saying, are you going to live by my word? It is light that's breaking into the darkness. It is truth that is undoing all your lies. But there are lies that you're still believing. Are you willing to give yourself to the light of God's word? Fourth, knowledge of God's revelation makes us guilty. If you were blind, he says to the Pharisees, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And what he means by this is you've had access to God's word. You, in fact, claim to be students of God's word. So you say you see but you don't see me, the clearest revelation of God's light breaking into the darkness. And so you're more guilty because of your access to God's word. You should know better. I'm holding you accountable to what God has revealed because you know it. It makes us more culpable. The Apostle Paul makes a very similar point in Romans chapter 1. You may think that you may not be a Christian, and you may think that the claim that Jesus is the only way to God is unfair. And the, and the question probably circles in your mind like this. What about, the, what about the hidden tribe off the coast of India or in the deeps of the Amazon who's never heard of Jesus? How can he be the only way? And here's Paul's answer. It is fair. You see, God reveals and he's not only revealed in his gospel, he's revealed himself in all of creation. So that there is no one who is not guilty, who is not held accountable. God's works are evident for what is known. This is Romans 1.19. For what is known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely 
His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, all of us, are without excuse. God holds us accountable to his revelation. And for, if you're not a Christian, God holds you accountable to the revelation. You should worship him and give thanks to him, but we don't because we love the darkness rather than the light. But look, that cuts both ways. To us as Americans who are Christians, who have access to podcasts and sermons and literature beyond number. We have such an amazing access to God's Word. Until the Reformation, the average Christian didn't even have a personal Bible in their home. I have to choose in the morning which of my Bibles I'm going to read. I have so many of them. Which of the podcasts am I going to listen to today? We consume and we consume and we consume. And at the same time, throughout our churches, our zeal for God seems to be waning. Our fire for His, His holiness, our desire for holiness in our own lives seems to be waning. How is that? God's answer is, you have, you have riches of light. It makes you more culpable. We need to repent. Repent soon. To hold us accountable to the riches he's at. Fifthly, lastly. In order for us to better see. And I do think this is a bit of a paradigm here in John chapter 9. Jesus breaks into the darkness. He breaks into brokenness. Which means that in order for us to better see. The truth of God's word, his truth often breaks in in times of crises. Because what happens in times of crises, when our life is beginning to fall apart, is that the lies that we believe just can't hold our lives up anymore. This is why so many people come to faith in college. College is like a crisis of identity. Who am I? I'm not around my family anymore. We've got all these new opportunities and new friends. It's a crisis moment. And so many kids come to faith in Christ. That's why RUF as a ministry is so essential. Because we're entering into not only the darkness of the university campus, but crisis times. But it's also why so many people come to faith in Christ during times of divorce or job loss. Jail. Midlife crises. Or just midlife crises. Just like... Everything I've been pursuing just seems so unable to do it for me anymore. It's why God often afflicts his people. The suffering is the gateway to undoing the lies that we so easily believe so that we can see the light of God's word more clearly. Let me close with this. As World War II was um, groaning to a close, in January of 1945, 121 elite rangers liberated 500, over 500 POWs, mostly Americans, from a Japanese prisoner of war camp in the Philippines. The prisoners, many of whom were survivors of the infamous Bataan Death March, were in just awful conditions. You imagine the prisoners of war, right? It's just like this was not a retreat setting. Physically, emotionally, 
Many of them have physically living in the dark, emotionally abused. And so when the rangers arrived, most of the Japanese guard had left, but some of them were still roaming the camp. They're defeated, but still roaming around. And so that new situation made it very difficult for the prisoners of war because those troops were still around them. And they didn't quite know what to make of their new freedom. Or in fact, if it really was freedom because the light had broken into the darkness, but the darkness was still around them. They were free, but the enemy was still there. And the, and the prisoners were so defeated, so diseased, and so familiar with deceit that many of them had to be convinced that they were now free. And one prisoner in particular was struggling with blindness because of vitamin deficiency. And he just couldn't make out who his rescuers were. Because the Japanese were still, the darkness was still all around them. Even though the light had broken in and he was particularly blind. And so he couldn't tell who, who to trust in that moment. And finally a soldier walked up on him and tugged him on the arms and said, What's wrong with you? Don't you want to be free? And the prisoner who was from Alabama recognized the southern accent. The accent of this person I cannot see, but the accent I'm in tune with. And I know that I can trust him. And a smile formed on his lips and he willingly, thankfully began his journey to freedom. And that's what Jesus' word does. It breaks into the spiritual blindness with the familiar accent of God and his new creation works with his power. And we begin our journey to freedom. I am the light of the world. If you abide in my truth, the truth will set you free. No match for the darkness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we hear your voice with the truth of your word cut into the darkness of the lies of sin and Satan and cause us to see rightly, truly. We want to walk in your ways. We want to feel and hear of your grace. We want to enjoy our freedom. And so cut us that we could see and hear and believe more deeply. Maybe some for the very first time today have heard your voice clearly calling out to them. And Lord, this would be our pride. Don't even break into our break into our city that many would come to see you with all of your glory, to see you rightly break through the darkness that has held so many captive for so long. Bring, bring your spirit with winds of revival and renewal. For we ask this, our Savior, in your name and by your truth. Amen.